gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about the person and the work of Christ is something that not only saves us, it continually saves us and sanctifies us and it infiltrates our life. No matter who you are or where you're from, we do hope that you will find friends and family here. We are a church of broken people, all in need of God's grace, and I pray that today, that you would be encouraged in the Word and also be challenged in the Word to how we think about God and how we think about living as His people. Before we get into 1 Timothy chapter 5, I'd like to read a couple of passages to set up what we're going to be talking about this morning. John chapter 21, verse 15, on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, right before Jesus is about to be ascended back into heaven. But before he does, he has a couple of interactions with his disciples and his friend and disciple Peter denied him three times right before Jesus was crucified. But Jesus meets him lovingly on the north side there of the Sea of Galilee in the quiet hours of the morning. He meets his disciples and he has breakfast with them. In verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Jesus said, tend my sheep. And then a third time he said, feed my sheep. Three instructions as he restores Peter to feed the flock of God. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we actually find this Peter who was restored now writing to the churches, now assuming that role of elder, of apostle, the apostleship being something special in that time and space, but also serving as an elder, which is a timeless position while the church is here on the earth. And here Peter is exercising that office, and here's this challenge to his fellow elders. Now listen to the similar verbiage. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God. Now, where did he get that idea? He got that from Jesus who said, if you love me, you're going to tend the sheep, you're going to feed the sheep, you're going to tend the lambs. But shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Oh, how many pastors, including this one, need to be reminded of that. Pride is out of place with the eldership. What does the character of the elder look like in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1? We actually already studied this several months back, looking at verse 1 through 7. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. 
He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For someone who does not know how to manage his own household, how will he know how to care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. There are many more passages I could turn to to describe what the office of elder looks like, what this role and position looks like. Now, we talk about the role of eldership, and we say office. That word is actually not used in Scripture. Your English translation says office, but it's actually just simply the Greek word episkopos, which means overseer. Whoever desires this office desires a noble task, but he must be humble. He shepherds out of love secondarily for the congregation, but primarily out of love for Jesus, but then also out of love for the people. In humility, not under compulsion, not seeking money or fame, not pride, but humility, and his life must exhibit holiness and righteousness. In modern evangelicalism today, if you were to say, what should the pastor, the role of elder look like? Well, you would say, he must be cool, hip, generational, a good communicator, a good visionary, someone who is a CEO and able to manage and organize, and yet none of these words are found in Scripture. And yet that is the prevailing philosophy among what churches should expect of from a pastor, from an elder. But here it's humble, godly. According to the New Testament, elders lead the church, teach and preach the word, protect the church from false teachers, exhort, admonish the saints in sound doctrine, visit the sick and pray, judge doctrinal issues. He is the elder shepherd. They are the elder shepherds, these men, to exhibit Christ in their life, in their speech, and in the manner of their speech. With these type of elders in mind, 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 25. Let us now read our text this morning. Verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty also in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink any water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sin of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are cannot, cannot remain hidden. So our passage this morning has to do with honoring elders, protecting elders, rebuking elders, and selecting elders. And you say, how does this apply to me? Because you should know what to expect from the church that was bought with the blood of the living Jesus Christ. 
And whether here at Heritage or you go somewhere else, I pray that you will have the right perspective according to God's Word about what type of elders should lead the church and also your response to elders and their response and their service to you. As we look at 1 Timothy 5, if you're looking for a big idea, last week was practical instructions to the church with regards to care or the widows specifically. This week, the big idea are or is even more practical instructions for the church having to do with elders. And then next week will be even more practical instructions for the church having to do with employee-employer relationships. So a lot of practical ways of how we live out Christ. Now, as we think about elders, if you're new here and you're just dropping in, um, I'll be very honest that as we look at this text, I've been praying all week that the Lord would help me handle it objectively because it feels like a little bit of a conflict of interest text because I'm preaching my role. But I'm not preaching my role about what I have to say. I pray that you will measure what I say according to God's word. And I'm not just dropping into this because I think we need to talk about it. Rather, it is just simply the next passage that we've gotten to in our systematic exposition or explanation of God's word in 1 Timothy. Those of you who've been here a long time, I pray that you will understand my heart as we go into this. As we look at elders, let's review for just a moment. Elders are tasked with oversight and the teaching authority in the shepherding of the redeemed and the shepherding of the church, and they must exhibit a proven godliness. In 1 Timothy 3, we also see that there are helpers that are often called deacons. Helpers better understood as those doing servant-oriented work or doing diaconal work to assist in the care of the congregation. They've been appointed by the elders to help and oversee or to, to help oversee under the elders', elders uh, leadership specific aspects or tasks within the congregation, both men and women entrusted with a specific role of helping. Now, they likewise must exhibit a proven godliness. Now, but be very clear, elders oversight, governing, and the authoritative teaching. Deacons, or the role of deacons, not a governing role, not entrusted with oversight of the church, not the teaching that bears the headship authority. We must understand that distinction because often in the church, we kind of collapse the two positions together when Scripture presents them very distinctly. So practical instructions now with that as backdrop, let's get into the text beginning in verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. As we look at this text, we actually see a little bit of structure as how the eldership is set up. Remember that elders have to do with oversight and governance. And Paul says, let the elders who rule well. So elders, their job is to govern, lead, provide oversight and the authoritative teaching of the church. This group of ruling elders, all of whom, by the way, should have the ability to understand doctrine and theology and communicate it effectively. But within this group, there are also those who specifically are the teacher-preachers of the ruling elders. Could be one, could be several. Honor them. Honor them. Actually, it says double honor. I'm going to be honest. This is such an awkward text to preach. But I want to be objective about what Scripture says, about what elders should be 
And why are they to be honored? It is not because I'm such a great guy or my brother elders are such great guys. I pray that they, they should be godly, but we are not super Christians. Matter of fact, we have many of the frailties and the temptations that you yourselves have. Why double honor? Because the role of eldership is entrusted with the church, the only thing in the universe that has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We honor the role commensurate with the value of the entity that the role oversees and leads, guides under the overshepherd that is Christ. We live in a day where there's kind of two extremes within the church. There is the popery, most exhibited in the Roman Catholic Church, which I would consider outside of the biblical church. But that is the pope and the priests who are beyond the rebuke of Scripture. Or some within more traditional evangelicalism, or just frankly power-hungry evangelicalism, where power is centralized and the pastor is seen as a super-Christian. Those are two extremes. On the other side, we have the contemporary church where, don't call me pastor, call me Bob. I'm just like anybody else. There's nothing special about me. Well, okay, what does the Bible say about those two extremes? I'm not insisting that you call me Pastor Nathan. If you want to call me Nathan, fine. But we need to be very careful that, okay, we're not super Christians we are totally dependent upon Jesus Christ and Him alone, and it's His church and not ours. On the other side, if you do not see anything weighty in your responsibility as an elder, you should not be an elder because do you not know that you're going to have to give account to the chief shepherd for how you governed his flock? There's a weightiness. My brothers, especially my younger brothers who desire to go into eldership, you need to understand this is a weighty role. And you need to take it seriously. The presidential office is honored or should be honored because of the high value of these United States of America. The elder office is esteemed because the church is purchased with the blood of Christ. John Calvin, alluding to this particular verse 17, says that we can infer that there are two types of presbyters or overseers, elders. Ones that handle general pastoral and administrative functions. And then also, on the other hand, those who've received a particular call to teach and to preach. John Stott also says, in this we see the origin of the familiar distinction between ruling elders and teaching elders, but all of them elders with equal authority, the different roles. Honor the elders. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate their faith. So remember them. And they should have lives that can be imitated. You can say, I want to follow as he follows. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey. Submit. Not in authoritarianism. And some of you have been burned by that. And my deepest heartaches for those who've been burned by pastoral authority wielded, 
let's be clear, not just wrongly, I'm saying sinfully, because they do not exhibit Christ. But there is a relationship of authority and mutual submission, but also respect with regards to the eldership. Don't oppose them in the sense of don't make their life difficult because it's no advantage to you. Love them well so they can love you well. And may we love you well so that you likewise can love us well. So that we can mutually encourage one another in the faith. I'm a missionary kid. I grew up overseas in Tanzania, East Africa. My dad has 108 supporting churches. 108. I've seen a lot of them. We've traveled all over the United States. I've seen some good churches and many not. Seen some churches who eat their pastors for breakfast. And some pastors who treat their congregations like stepping stones to greater heights of glory. Let us be aware. Let us be careful. Let us in honor humble ourselves and esteem one another and the roles that God has given us in different ways and relationships. The Lord has given some of you roles and mission fields with respect to your vocations that I will never have access to. And I have not been called to. Likewise, there are many of you who have not been called to this role. And so we respect and honor one another through that. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13, Paul writes, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord. You see that? They're over you, but in the Lord. And admonish you. You are to esteem them very highly in love. Because of their work, their work in serving the body of Christ. This is going to be very blunt, but if you cannot remember your leaders, obey your leaders, honor your leaders, esteem them, respect them, you need to be reconciled to them. And you need to pursue that. You need to work on that. You need to confront, you need to come, you need to come and talk. Let's reconcile. If you cannot... Be reconciled to the elders at Heritage Baptist Church. You need to go to another church. You need to pursue a different congregation. Don't just go to a DC class. Our DCs are wonderful, our DC shepherds. We could not do what we do without them. But they are not individual churches. You need to be a part of the body. And being in covenant membership or being here in a healthy relationship with Christ means relating healthily to those whom God has put in authority. Consider them worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So we have a category of ruling elders, double honor. And then especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And this is just getting more and more awkward as I preach it. But this is what the text says. Now I ask the question, why? Now all elders must have the ability, the understanding and communicative faculties to present and defend the truth. But not all elders have the primary responsibility for the regular exposition, the preaching of the word, and bearing the weight of the interpretation of the word that then controls the culture of the word at that local congregation. Double honor among the elders Special honor among elders for those who are preacher, the teachers, whose primary role as an elder is the exposition and the guiding of the theological culture and doctrinal oversight 
of the church. Now, why? Why does this elder have particular attention in Paul's mind? He's speaking to Timothy, he's speaking about himself, and he also goes throughout the New Testament to many different letters with the churches, constantly reminding them to stick close to the gospel and preach the word of God. Because when that goes astray, the entire church follows suit. We know and we've heard and we've seen when the gospel is not esteemed. And when I say preach the word, I'm talking about the scriptures, the word, but you also, especially my young brothers going into the eldership, wanting to be in the eldership, you're not just preaching the Bible, the word, but you're preaching what the word is focusing in on. And the word finds its fulfillment in the word, the person of Christ. It is possible to preach the Bible and be biblical and not be Christo-focused. Focused and centered on Christ. That Christ should be the predominant fragrance of everything that is said and spoken. Even this eldership, we're talking about eldership because the church was bought with the blood of Christ and the blood of Christ is worth so esteeming that the church should be cared for well. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Laboring, please, whether here at another church, let the preacher Labor in the word, labor in study, labor in prayer, labor in the ministry of preaching and teaching. Expect, whether here at Heritage or somewhere else, expect him to spend 20 to 30 hours in prayer and preparation and delivery and feeding his own soul so that he can feed the congregation and equip them with the majesties of Christ that hopefully carry them through the week. Expect that. One of the reasons that churches are in dire straits, it's not just the pastors who have forsaken the gospel, but it's congregations who've forgotten to expect that their pastors stay close to the gospel. It's not just my job, it's your job. That we remain centered on Christ. Don't muzzle the ox. Yes, you can call me Pastor Ox if you want. Or one of my other brother elder pastors. Don't muzzle the ox. The reference is to Deuteronomy chapter 25. He's quoting, he says, the scripture says, quoting Deuteronomy 25, so we see a clear reference that the Old Testament is scripture. The ox is the labor that powers the cracking of the grain, the mill, so that it can be consumed and digested. The elder, and particularly the elder preacher, labors to take the grain of the word crack it open, and weekly provide warm bread of truth that is freshly baked with the aroma of Christ. Don't inhibit that. Whether it's me, whether it's someone else, whether it's at a different church, expect the Word of God to be prepared freshly. The laborer deserves his wages, verse 18. Now, it's interesting that Paul quotes Deuteronomy 25 and says, the Scripture says, and likewise, the laborer deserves his wages. But this quotation is from Jesus himself in Luke chapter 10. So what's fascinating is that Paul here in 1 Timothy, within just a few years of Luke being written, Paul is already calling that gospel scripture, internal evidence of internal authority of God's word. Now let's talk about accusations against an elder. 
Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. False accusations are one of Satan's most dangerous weapons. Now, there, there are things that we do to try and make sure that we can limit the false accusations that can be thrown against, but false accusations unfortunately happen. And if we look in the Old Testament, Joseph, Moses, David, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, and even our Lord Jesus Christ all suffered from false accusations. So did Paul, matter of fact, and Timothy. Now, one of the things that you need to also practice discretion on when you hear the accusation against an elder, whether here or somewhere else, do not jump on the bandwagon of crucifying for sport those who've been put into positions of authority. But what you need to do, okay, accusation made. Is it being followed through with biblically? Has it been followed through biblically? Is it being dealt with? Do we have two or three witnesses? Elders will receive criticism. Accusations of sin must be verified with witnesses. This is not a cloak to try and hide sin. Matter of fact, we're trying to validate holiness and also to esteem the position while at the same time seeking out truth. As for those who persist in sin, verse 20, rebuke them in the presence of all. Now this is where, frankly, we in the body of Christ across the greater church have made many mistakes with this. When an elder is caught in sin, or if they persist in sin, often what happens is it's dealt with behind the doors and nothing is said. And everybody goes, well, what happened? What's going on? Well, we want to protect their privacy and be gracious. I appreciate the sentiment. But this is the weight of the position and the weight of the role transcends personal, personal comforts. And that is, brother and sister, if I persist in verifiable sin, if I'm caught in sin that defames the name of Christ, I have forsaken any privacy with regard to that. The holiness of the church is more important than the reputation of Nathan Smith. So you get up here Sunday morning and maybe for several Sunday mornings afterwards and you say, we in love have confronted, but Nathan Smith has been caught in sin and we want everybody to take warning because the church is to be holy. And we cannot sweep these things under the rug. Now please be gracious with my imperfections, which are many. But we need to be holy. Rebuke them in the presence of all. Paul then says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Now he's talking to Timothy. He says, the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, the elect angels, they're looking. They are the ones to fear, not the reactions of men, all heaven is concerned with the purity of the church and the church that tolerates sinning elders to protect its reputation on earth will lose its reputation in heaven. You get that? The church that tries to protect its reputation on earth loses its reputation in heaven. 
Keep these rules without prejudging. Timothy, but also congregation, let there be a valid process. Don't prejudge. Let's bring truth out. Selecting elders, number three. So in the first one, we looked at honoring elders. Number two, accusations against an elder. Number three, selecting of elders. And it says here in verse 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. The laying on of hands is the commissioning for this specific role. Now, what we find throughout the New Testament is the commissioning, the appointing, and the laying on of hands of elders. We never find that with regards to deacons, those who are the helper servants. The elders are the laying on of hands, the commissioning, and Paul says, do not be hasty. Don't rush into the process, which means there is a process, which means there is a proving, a testing that says, have they exhibited godliness and holiness? Don't be hasting in the laying on of hands. Prove their doctrine and character. It needs to be a demonstrable faith. And don't partake in the sins of others. Now, this, this is a weighty warning to Timothy. Here's the context. Don't be hasty. If you hastily rush someone into the position of eldership and you didn't prove out their character, and you didn't prove out their doctrine, you in effect are affirming and partaking in their sins that will come to light because you didn't do your job. Let's be clear. Scripture does not withhold any punches here about what we must be and do as a church. Number four, let's talk about the care of elders. The care of elders. First of all, I just want to point out that I feel bad for Timothy. Because look at the parentheses in verse 23. No longer drink any water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. You know what's going on with Timothy dealing with all this stuff? He is stressed out. He is having irritable bowel syndrome. <laughs> He's chewing Tom's left and right. He's got an upset stomach of anxiety and struggling and battling. One can imagine Timothy contemplating the tensions regarding the care of widows, elder malfeasance, staying objective, pure of heart, dealing with the grumbling, the false teachers, trying to preach the word, trying to lead the church, trying to esteem Christ. And Timothy is sitting here going, Paul, I'm going to go flip burgers. Nothing against flipping burgers. I've done it. Wash dishes. It's a mission field all its own. But the weight of leadership that comes with that, Paul himself talked about. Been shipwrecked, been flogged. But daily there's the weight of the churches that Paul says. You read through the book of Galatians, listen to the words that Paul uses. He says, I'm in anguish. I'm beaten down. He said, I'm, I'm surprised, I'm shocked I'm, that you've so deserted the gospel so quickly. My heart is burdened. Now, there are different types of exhaustion in different vocations. I, la I laid some tile in my house this last month, and God bless you brothers who are tradesmen and craftsmen. I had to go sleep for three days after I did it. It's a physical exhaustion that I, I just can't relate to. Pastoring and eldering 
is a different type of weight than exhaustion. It's a spiritual exhaustion. It's an emotional, relational exhaustion. It's the weight of the church. It's the anguish of heartache and sin. Even the Apostle Paul says, all have deserted me. It's the place where you accumulate the betrayals. My younger brother is desiring eldership. Are you sure you want this job? We need you. We need you to stand up and take the next generation of church. But be clear, it's not an easy path. Now, Timothy is probably appropriating wisdom in his context. In Ephesus, the cult of Dionysus, where the flowing and the drunkardness that associated with wine, and he applies wisdom and says, you know what, I don't even want to be associated with that because of the misunderstandings that are there. He's applying wisdom personally, and he's abstaining. And Paul makes the objective conversation to him and says, listen, wine is not a sin as an article. Matter of fact, come back with some of your piety, Timothy, and take a little bit of wine for the sake of your stomach. Care for yourself. Care for yourself. Now, if you tangent and you make this whole passage about whether alcohol is right or wrong, you've missed the point of the text. That's not Paul's point. Now, we can look through other scriptures and see that wine and alcohol as an article is not a sin. Wisdom should be applied. Great wisdom because, you know what? Both of my grandfathers died of alcoholism. So I'm really careful. Matter of fact, I'm really, really careful because I'm afraid that I would like it. But whether you do or do not, you better apply great wisdom. And let us also be very clear. Though drinking alcohol is not a sin, drunkenness clearly is. Matter of fact, matter of fact, I believe that drunkenness is a dismissible offense alongside an affair with another woman for a pastor or a missionary. Why? Well, friendships with women are okay, brothers, if they're holy. You got to use wisdom. And the same thing, women, with your brothers. But if you step outside that holiness and have an affair, that has significant consequence. Alcohol, use a lot of wisdom and holiness. Ask a lot of questions. If you step outside of that, Scripture says drunkenness is an abomination. Our Presbyterian brothers and sisters who love their wine, by the way. Derek Thomas, a pastor whom I esteem greatly. When I was going through my doctoral studies, he came and he taught our class and he said, you know, you Baptists, that we Presbyterians, we love our wine and we love our artisanal cheeses. He said, but let's be clear. He said, this past year, I have fired, we have had to fire two of our pastors, our elders, because of drunkenness. He said, broadening and saying alcohol is not a sin does not lower the bar that drunkenness is an affront to God. Care for yourself, Timothy. See, I just tangented on alcohol, but I had to come to it because that's what we all think when we read this. But that's not the main point. Care for yourself, Timothy. Number five, let's talk about the timing of our works and let's be reminded of some basic practical points of wisdom. 
Good works are conspicuous. We're going to go down here to the end of verse 25 first. Good works are conspicuous. Jesus himself said, you will recognize them by their fruits. So you, you shouldn't have to wonder whether or not they're righteous. It should be conspicuous. But as a reminder to Timothy, even those that are not, the obedience that is not seen will one day be brought to light. And this is a reminder for all of us because sometimes we insist upon our secret obedience being made known now. Jesus said, beware the hypocrites who disfigure their faces and do things in public spaces so that they can have the affirmation of men. Jesus says, they have their reward. Don't do that. Concerning sins, some people's sins are conspicuous. They go before them to judgment. In other words, they're made known, they're obvious, they're seen. But others appear later. The bottom line is this, is that at some point, sin will be exposed. You cannot hide it. Do not think your unconfessed sin will remain hidden. There is a day of accounting coming. The gospel teaches us that Jesus Christ took the judgment on the cross for our sins. And if you have not hidden in him through faith and trust in what he has done for you, your sins will be held to account, maybe in this life, but maybe in this life, and for sure when you stand before the great white throne of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ who've trusted in Christ, don't forsake many joys by indulging in sins now rather than attaining and laying up treasures in heaven. Jesus said, Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon. I bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. For me, as one of the elder shepherds here, this gives me motivation. Not because I have to work for my salvation, but I know that I'm going to stand before the Lord and give an account for how I stood before Heritage Baptist Church. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Not something we do, but we have in faith and trust, put our lives under the blood of Christ and we are blessed under that covering. And we can look forward to joy for that day. So, so, here's the admonition. Live now, brothers and sisters in Christ, in the church and to the elders and the elders to you and myself and you, all of us together, may we look forward to the day knowing that he is coming soon. And if the Lord tarries is coming, May Jesus say of Heritage Baptist Church, well done, my good and faithful servants. Amen? We want that, right? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us to be faithful. Father, help me to be faithful. Father, you know my weaknesses. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for my brothers and sisters' patience with me. I pray that the words were understood clearly. I pray that you would expunge pride from my life. May none of this be an occasion for pride for me or for my brother elders. May we wield our positions in humility and in righteousness. May we as a church take these practical admonitions and walk them out carefully to the honor, glory, and praise of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.